Yeah, I feel like when we first started p- playing music, I like played that record for you, and I was just like, "This is this is it. Like we can do this. You know what I mean? Like we can do this music, drums and synthesizer. That's it, and like it's enough to be a band." This is Essential Tremors. I'm Lee Gardner. I'm Matt Byers. The idea behind this show is to have musicians and other creators talk about songs that shaped who they are. We're not looking for favorite songs necessarily. We're also not looking for songs that they'd choose to take with them if they were stranded on a desert island. What we're looking for are songs that have significance to them. Songs that might have changed the course of their creative lives or their lives in general. Baltimore-based band founded by Albert Schatz and April Camlin, although the term band is perhaps a bit misleading. This isn't because Schatz and Camlin don't have a collaborative musical partnership, which is at least one definition of the term, but because it may make you think of three or four people playing guitars and drums in a way that's likely overly familiar to you. This isn't Womb. Driven by Schatz's sequencers, keyboards, and other gadgetry, all of which requires Camlin to play drums to a click track in her headphones when the band plays live. Womb harkens back to the best elements of German bands from the 70s, such as Neu, Harmonia, and Kraftwerk. Their two albums, 2015's Maintain and their most recent release, 2018's Towards the Shadow, have led to a growing audience, as have recent dates opening for highly acclaimed Baltimore band Beach House on a recent European tour. The first song chosen by Schatz and Camlin as being essential to them was Vitamin C by Can. fans about this song everyone's always like oh that song is just so blown is blown up or it's I I feel like maybe it's not the most interesting song as far as the melody or the lyrics go but what really speaks to me about that song is the drumming um Yaki Libzit and I'm probably not pronouncing his name properly but um he's been a really 
influential drummer for me. And I felt like when I, the first time I heard, especially the kick part on that song, it, I mean, it, I feel like his, I always, I've always said his ankle is like a wrist. I, I don't, he just has this fluidity. Um, he's so loose and tight at the same time. And I feel like that song really expresses that to me. I mean, he, he just, um, the fills are so confident and so minimal in a way, but really powerful and uh, complex, even in their simplicity. So that song really grabbed me. And Can in general, I mean, it's been a, it's an influential band to a lot of people. But uh, yeah, I think that song was, was definitely formative. Al, what do you have to say? <laughs> Um, yeah, I think that song's amazing. I don't know. I don't know. Like when you're saying like, oh, people think it's like blown out. I don't really get that feeling. I think it's just. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. I'm just being self-deprecating. It's really poppy, but like, I I love it so much. Yeah. And, um, I think the thing that I, I, I I was going to have a can pick is one of my picks, but then I switched it because you had one. But the thing that always got me about can that like, kind of like, and we're talking about like songs that kind of like, I don't know influenced what we do today or what I did made like kind of like spark something musically in me is like the, some of the sounds in their songs where like when I first heard them, like, what is that? And I'm like, what, what is that sound? (laughs) How did that get made? (laughs) What is that? You know, it's like, it's, there's that, I don't know. I can't even describe it. Like, um, it's hard to describe. There's this like one sound that I never knew what it was. And then I saw them like a video of them <laughs> playing live thing. and it's not, there's like this one that's like this muted where it's like, wah, 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 wah. and I heard it and I was like, what is that? What is that sound? You know? <laughs> and like for years, like I feel like my, one of my main drives was to like, like sounds that I didn't know what they were to like figure out what they were and try to replicate what they were. And like, and I always thought that that was like, I don't know, like an interesting endeavor, but like, I kind of realized more recently that like, it doesn't matter what it was or like how it was made. It's just that like somebody picked it, you know what I mean? Like somebody like, or like somebody in the band, like, they were making music together and that sound came out and they're like, yes, you know what I mean? And like, that's, that's really the most interesting part about it. You know what I mean? It's like, it was a, it was a, like a, a creative choice yeah. to make a sound that was like new and different. And I, I had never heard it on any other record or like people hadn't probably hadn't heard it on other recordings. Yeah. And like, I, I think with them, I was like one of the first bands that I ever listened to where it was like really, and I mean, maybe the velvet underground too, like where it was like, there was making a lot of like, creative artistic choices um that spoke to me i guess personally um well i think their 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 approach to recording also was pretty influential for us totally yeah just really we recorded a lot of stuff at home not the most recent our most the album that's coming out but like we record on our own in the practice space um and it's you know kind of a protected creative space Mm. um but yeah i love that song (laughs) (laughs) so when would you have heard it and under what circumstances do you think it came to me later in life i think i was probably 
uh, oh geez, maybe 24, something like that, 23 or 24 when I first discovered Can. I think somebody played Tego Mego for me. And I just felt like the the sound of it was unlike anything I had heard before. Um, just the way that the drums were recorded and the, the way that everything was layered. And I don't know. What about you, Al? Similarly, I feel like I went through, and we were joking about this in the car earlier, like I feel like some people I know who've been listening to like quote unquote cool music like woke up one day when they were 14 and all of a sudden they were like listening to craft work and like you know what I mean but like that's not my story I like, was listening to anime soundtracks yeah I like I went through I went through all the phases you know what I mean I feel like I feel like some people are like I feel like I used to joke that like struggled for music taste because, you know, I was came from, you know, suburbs, you know, classic story, but it's just like, I didn't, and you know, like early days of internet, just kind of like trying to find things and, you know, you, you fall down a lot of like really lame rabbit holes in the, or at least I did in that, in that path. Um, but yeah, not until I was in my twenties. And then I feel like I had a moment where like I was, you know, the crowd I was hanging out with and like I heard Ken and I was just like, I got the CD and I was like, I can't went over to the house that we all hung out with. And I was like, I got the CD and you got to hear it. And like everyone, maybe only one other person in the room was, was like at all interested. And I was like, you gotta be joking. This is the best thing I've ever heard, you know? And like it didn't hit them as much as as much as it did me, and I guess that speaks to what the kind of music that I make now. Uh, I'm curious to talk maybe a little bit more about um, the drumming, your drumming, and the drumming on the track. Um, I, earlier this year, I read um, there's a new uh, book about Can, a biography of the band, sort of called Open All Gates, mm-hmm. and there are all these stories about. Uh, Jackie Liebesite, Liebesite. I don't. Liebesite, I, I think. Yeah, yeah, I don't know either. Um, and how, you know, he was a jazz guy and he kind of looked askance at some of the, you know, the hippie goings on. And the thing about, you know, their music is it has the sort of, you know, diaphanous, uh, you know, exploratory quality to it. But all of his stuff is always super tight. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, even when things are kind of going crazy, he's he knows what he's doing and he's going to keep doing it. And it's going to be super precise. I'm curious about how you navigate that. Well, for me, the thing that really resonates beyond his technical prowess is his relationship to repetition because I feel like I have a similar relationship. I'm also a weaver, and I find that these... They're similar kind of polyrhythmic gestures that are happening when I'm sitting at the drum kit and when I'm sitting at the loom and I feel like there's something really expansive and sacred to me about getting lost in a polyrhythmic repetition because it's challenging. Um, You have to sort of, you have to be really present but not too present you can't think too much about I I guess I'm thinking about I don't know if 
you've ever read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but there's this part where they're trying to teach one of the characters to fly and they say that the way that you learn how to fly is you trip and fall and you miss the ground. And I feel similarly to mastering these complex rhythmic structures because you can't, you have to be so fluid. You can't think too hard about what you're doing, but you also have to be really in your body. And it creates this tension within me that feels very powerful. And and I feel like when I'm in that space, it just allows everything else to fade away. And I'm just in that moment completely, which is something that is become increasingly challenging in our society, right? (laughs) By the way, I think I I do know what you mean, uh, (laughs) sort of about vitamin C being not exactly played out, but it's sort of at this point, the hit, you know, right? It's like the one can song. If they've only heard one can song, people, that that's probably it. And it, it sort of relates to what you were talking about, Alan, this idea that it used to be if you came across something like that, it was like a miracle. You know, you found this amazing thing and it's just happenstance that you found it. You know, some friend played it for you or you read about it and decided to buy it. Um, but now everyone has access to everything all the time. And, you know, it's much easier to hear, you know, you can spend the afternoon right now listening to everything can ever recorded pretty much. And I am always, maybe, you know, you can tell me if you agree or not. I'm always kind of fascinated by that, that kind of push and pull between the benefit of having all this access and, and then the, you know, the feeling you get when you find something that you have no idea where it came from or what it is, but it, it does something to you. Does that make sense? I have something to say about that. (laughs) I have an opinion. (laughs) I think that accessibility is, is one of the, one of the things that makes me feel not terrible about the internet. Um, I I think that it's, you know, I've heard people talk about how, and we, we talk about how when we were younger, we really had to dig to find something amazing and how that was, uh, it felt magic. It did feel magical. And I think that I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to discount that because I think that that's really special and powerful. But I just think that the more people have access to greater diversity and weirder stuff, uh, the better it is. I don't think it's diluting the pot. I think it's making it richer, actually. The second song chosen by the band as being crucial to their development was Harold Groskopf's Transcendental Overdrive.
Um, the song I chose, and I I feel like I'm really I, t- disappointing. Uh, I was talking to Dan Deacon before this, and we had, he and I have a very similar musical background. In like high school, we both listened to ska, and not so much him, but me, like e- like really wimpy Midwestern emo, and like. Uh, and hardcore and metalcore and stuff. And like, I was trying desperately to like find a song in that genre, or like from anything in that era that like I somehow pull upon musically. And probably if I thought about it for another week, I would, some, I would think of something, but I just like, like I was agonizing over it. And then April in the car was just like, well, what's, you know, if somebody was like, what's the song that like most influenced, like you starting our uh, this band or us starting this band and it, it like just pointed and said go and it, the answer was so clear right away it was um a song called transcendental overdrive by harold groskopf another another german uh kraut rock dude kind of a lesser known person he's a drummer and he's been the drummer for like klaus schulz and um Ashra Ashra Temple and stuff but like he put out a solo record I don't know late 70s and it was one other similar thing like where it's like this I probably discovered it around 2007 and um I wasn't really into synthesizers at that time or like I played guitar I was in a like kind of a jangly um experimental pop band called Bird Names and like and then I had this friend who was like kind of, you know, it's like it's like you always have like a friend like we were, we were talking about, like somebody who's just like, well, have you heard this? Have you heard this? And he came over to my house one day and he's just like he, it was like kind of in the heyday of like blogs, I guess, or like kind of music blogs that like where they could post tracks like before um, rapid was like rapid share and mega upload before all those went down like. And it was like that when that happened, and I feel like it like affected me a lot and people I knew a lot because it was like we were all discovering music through these blogs that like wasn't, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't like we weren't stealing like you know, I don't know the latest like Jay Z album. We were we were like discovering records that like no one had been listening to for like forty years that were getting posted. You know what I mean? And um, I don't know if this is an example of that record and. Uh, um, but like this guy, Harold Groskopf made, and I'm really don't know how to say his last name, but he made this record called Synthesist in the late seventies. And it's just him playing drums over like there's songs, but like just kind of yeah, like arpeggios and like loops of synths. And it's just like kind of, I don't know how, or it was just kind of like, and like me listening to that record and I listened to it over and over again. And I was just like, uh, I don't know how it came. I feel like when we first started p- playing music, I like played that record for you. And I was just like, this is, this is it. Like we can do this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we can do this music, drums and synthesizer. That's it. And like, it's enough to be a band, you know? <laughs> and, um, and so, and that, that song specifically, it's kind of, and like, I remember like, it was just like, it was a challenging record for me because it's like kind of cheesy. You know what I mean? Like the, like some of the melodies are re- like back in, back then, back about who I was back in like 2006, seven, I was like listening to, you know, like noise rock, like lightning bolt and loft and stuff like that. And I was just like, 
I was just like, this is so, like, that lead is so cheesy and, like, wimpy. But it gets less cheesy the longer yeah. you listen to it. Yeah, yeah. It stops so being cheesy. I had a friend a who was just like, you, can, you just got to. You just got to embrace it. You got to embrace the cheese. And, uh, and, uh, and I was like, yeah. And that was like a revelation in itself too. And, um, <laughs> and so I don't know, just that record, like, I don't know if it like stands up as like my favorite of that era, but it's like, it definitely was like, kind of like opened up my musical perception to like, and I like probably that same year I bought my first synthesizer and like started for many years just trying to like emulate that style and like that type of music and then kind of, um, you know, progress from there. But like it was that record, you know, that I was listening to over and over again. I don't have much to say about that song um, that you hadn't already said. Yeah. He's a sick drummer for sure. <laughs> What was your adoption curve for Synthesizer like? I didn't know anything about them. I knew people who were into them, and I was just like, oh, I really liked string synthesizers. You know, like, um, I don't know, like Arp Selena or something like that. I really loved that sound, like phaser. So that my first synth was like kind of like I found somebody on Craigslist who was selling like uh, it's called a... a Prelude. Prelude, yeah, the um, Sequential Circuits Prelude. So I bought that for $300 and then like got a bunch of pedals with that. And that was fun. And then I bought, I bought another, I bought another like um, polyphonic synth. I get my, I've always had this kind of like thing and I still kind of with me is like, I don't want to spend more than $400 on any item of gear. Like I feel like I don't need to own too much gear to write music. Like, or I feel I find it having too much stuff to be like kind of a hindrance, like where I'm like, I have 5,000 possibilities where I like, I feel like I'm much more creative when I have like four things in front of me and I'll be like, I just write music with this, you know? So, and I never want to spend more than like four or $500. So that's really limited me, you know, in what I get. I've still, yeah, the last few things I've bought have just been a couple hundred dollars and I try to just keep it simple. I really like really simple synthesizer sounds, like not really any crazy I don't know just um I, I haven't gone into like modular you know people talk to me about that a lot I'm like sounds cool yeah like I probably would like that but I find I'm the most creative when I have like just one simple instrument in front of me be it like yeah like a guitar or like a synth or whatever I'm just like I've never taken a deep dive I, I try to focus on the music. You know what I mean? Like people will be like, oh, I got this module. It does this, da, 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 da. And I'm just like, well, how many songs have you made in the past year? You know? And I'm just like, I just like try to stick with like output and writing and then not about, focus on so much the, um, the like, because I know if I got super into like, I don't know, I don't know, like wave folding or something like that. I just would never write any music. I would just be like folding these waves. <laughs> <laughs> I would just be like trying to take it farther and farther. You brought up the idea of synthesizers or the synthesizer sound on this record being cheesy. And it made me think about the fact that, you know, being of a certain age and being, you know, inoculated early on with like rock dude thinking 
it's like, well, there was a time when all synthesizers were cheesy, right? You know, this was like not good. This was not a thing that we endorse. Mm -hmm. And I just find it amazing how, you know, everything is completely flipped over now. And it's like, you know, yes, guitars have been heading towards being old news for a lot of people for a long time. But I'm surprised at the dominance of synthesizers, at least in a certain or a number of certain stratas of music today. Yeah. Why? What is that? <laughs> uh, that's, that's a tough question. I do feel like, yeah, like the sound palette is like a little more uh, expansive uh, than a guitar. I think that like people think that if they get really into synthesizers, they're like they're like some kind of scientist or some kind you know what i mean like like they're like i don't know like they're literally breaking ground or something like that i don't know i that that like has an inherent like seriousness and kind of like grab it like it seems like i don't know more um legitimate i don't know like or i'm not legitimate but just kind of like yeah, like you were saying, synthesizers were cheesy. People were wearing capes and like were jamming Moog solos, and now it's like, I don't know. <laughs> like now, now it's like, like the experimental and like side of synthesizers can seem like seem almost too serious to me sometimes. I I think that they've probably caught on more. I think it's a few different things, but it seems to me that ever since synthesizers were made so that they could exist outside of a recording studio, they've become increasingly more accessible to people. And I can only speak for myself and my own experience, but when I think about a guitar versus a synth, um, as a rookie at both of those instruments, I, I, my first instrument was actually the piano. I, I started playing piano when I was a really little kid. Uh, but so I had some connection to that instrument, but even if I didn't have any connection, I think you can just walk up to a synth and start playing it. Um, the ones that have keyboards on them, that is. And it just immediately sounds cool. And there are lots of interesting features that you can play with and you can really experiment and go pretty far pretty fast. And I think that for, for me, that's the appeal, and that's I would imagine why they're becoming more popular over guitars, just because they're they're more inviting. Yeah, I, I I would I would definitely agree with that, and like I definitely like I always talk about like the I often talk about the point of discovery or something like that. I always like to be keep in that moment in that zone where it's like it's like you're just finding things and you know, like throwing, I don't know. And I feel like when you first start playing synthesizer, when I first did, it's just like, I don't know what ENV does or something like that, or FL, you know, filter or whatever. Like, I don't know what these words mean, but I'm just like playing with them. And then like just listening, like I like to focus less on like the like technical aspects and just like listen and like kind of curate when you like something when you hear something you're like just kind of like pointing to it and just being like that's when I I dig that like how what can I do with it how can I take it further as a, and, uh, and not thinking about like the technical too much technical stuff even though like everything you learn you can just kind of like have in your toolbox but it's like 
I love the first, you know, few years with synthesizers were just, just, I'm just discovering things all the time and just like, just so much fun and like, just, yeah, that's, I just love staying in that, in that zone, in that, in that headspace. The third and final song Womb shows as being essential to them was Tomorrow is Already Here by Stereolab. definitely an early bonding point for us. Um, we both were like, Oh, you're really into stereo lab. Me too. Oh, cool. <laughs> and I, I first discovered them when I was in the seventh grade and I was, um, taking art classes at this studio. And, um, one of my friends there made a mixtape for me and put a bunch of stereo lab songs on the mixtape and was like, You'll love them. They sing about really bleak stuff, but it sounds really, really upbeat and poppy. <laughs> um, and I had never, I had never, and I, I was discovering them before their influences, you know? So for me, it was the first time I had ever heard something that was so repetitive, but so, uh, but then it unfolded in such unexpected ways. And the lyrics were, kind of hard for me to wrap my seventh grade brain around, but also I think really they struck something in me and they definitely introduced me to some of the reading material that's really important to me now. And, and I just think that the, and again, the, the, the drums and the percussion, um, just the way that everything is structured, the way that, yeah, I'm rambling now, but what do you have to say about them, Al? Um, about that song. About the song. Well, that, That's, yeah, the song. Oh, yeah. Wait, it's your turn. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> well, obviously, you know, I have my history with them and they're such an amazing band and they were taking all these, inf- they were kind of like the this, this second, it's like, okay, you've got like Can and Cluster and all that. And then like, they're just like people who like were listening to that back in like the late eighties and early nineties and kind of like rolling with it, you know? And, um, 
But that song specifically I love because um, back, like, I don't really know how to play any instruments that well. <laughs> like, I could play the guitar, but I don't, couldn't tell you, like, if I, if I fretted a note, I couldn't tell you what note it was. I can twiddle around on the piano and I know the key I know the keys I know the keys but I don't know like you know like I don't know much about chords like if somebody's like this isn't key of f like I don't wouldn't know what to do and like (laughs) and um I I like the thing I love about that song was like I was always trying to like figure out like oh man song songwriting is so unapproachable because you need to know chords and you need to know um you know modulations and uh and things about melody and rhythm and I didn't I was just like I just want to make music I don't know how to make it and I and I kind of like the naivete of just like you know like uh intuitively playing it and I really liked that song was kind of like it was like the Rosetta Stone for me of like of like here's a song with a one that doesn't change chords at all it has like one rhythm and then it just like layers in things over it and like adds rhythms, you know, adds complexity and adds like syncopations and rhythms, but it's just like built around just one riff over and over and over and over again. And then it's just like, here comes a marimba, like a line over it. And it's just like, it kind of showed me, it was like, you don't need to know. Or like for me, I was like, <laughs> you don't need to know these things. Like you can just make find a find like a groove that you like and just layer on it and take things away and build add things you know what i mean and like that can be music you know what i mean like and it was hard for you know it was like i can do this you know it was like another moment where i was like i can actually do this i think the time signature too is what really speaks to us uh, about that song and that was in general with stereo lab something that when i was introduced to them was something i wasn't very familiar with um, because most of the things you're hearing on the radio are in 4-4 time signature and they really uh, wrote some very complex rhythms and that that really gave me pause yeah odd time signatures I, I, I was trying to think of because that would be a good one for me like when what was the first like odd timed song I heard that really like it was probably like a prog jam it was probably something about yes, but like, I feel like they never, they never like extended, they never extended those grooves or like kind of, you know, got super into, I don't know, but like, I guess there's a few can tracks like that where I was just like, it's like, I, I don't know. I just like it. Cause it kind of disrupts like, like my normal, like your normal kind of like head bobbing music. I like music that kind of like it's, you know, hitting you in, you know, your head bobbing, but also like the back of your neck is on like the, the, the upbeat or something like that. Like, and it's just like all challenging your movement. I just, it just like makes me feel it. Like, I don't know, something inside of me when I heard like an odd timed groove, I was just like, Oh hell yeah. (laughs) That is, that's everything. That's, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I try not to stick, you know, I try not like, Trying to make like rigid rules about music, like every song has to be five four over three four, and every even though I do we do do that. We were quite, just play. We were just bit. practicing a song <laughs> before we came here. Where that's I do exactly do that quite happening. a bit, but uh, um, I try not to make rigid rules. Like I don't do this, I don't do that. But that is like, and when we started, like that was kind of like the starting of our band was always was like I got a synth, 
April's playing the drums and like, we're just going to like, I here's like a two note five, four groove. And like, we're just going to play it forever and um, make a song out of it. So you heard the song in seventh grade. You heard it, I'm going to guess, under a different context. But I'm curious about the moment where you sort of both figured out that that was something important to you. Yeah, I, I don't think I heard it until, I don't think I got turned on to Stereo Lab until I was in, you know, my early 20s, maybe even like 24, 25. Um, I'm not sure. I feel like we were sharing music and, and like I say, like I was saying with the Harold Grosskopf track, I was like, I feel like I, there was a lot of sharing and just being like, this is something we can do. And I, we, I, we were playing uh, I played that tomorrow's already here. And I was like, this is, this is totally doable. You know, I, I think that maybe the moment where we had that connection to that song or maybe figured out that we were both really into stereo lab. It's kind of like music has this power. And I guess there are some other things that, um, accomplish this as well, but, it's almost like you're waving a little flag. You have a you have a record collection, and it's a bunch of little flags that you're waving. And then somebody comes and looks at your collection, and they see the flag, and and they're saying, "Oh, you're waving this flag because I, or I'm recognizing this flag because I love this too." And I'm not just some freak who loves this weird song. I'm not alone. You like the same thing I do, and it feels really welcoming and exciting when you find other people who share the same, the love of the same song or a same album or band or whatever as you. And I think that maybe I was just at your house and I was looking at your record collection and I saw a Stereo Lab album and was like, oh, okay, this friendship can continue. <laughs> <laughs> This has been Essential Tremors. Essential Tremors is produced by me, Matt Byers, and Lee Gardner. Essential Tremors is distributed by WYPR Baltimore and NPR. Look for and subscribe to all of WYPR's podcasts at wypr.org slash podcast central. For more information about Essential Tremors, go to essentialpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.